God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvelous episode 21 and today we will be talking about Avengers Infinity War. But before we get into that I would like to remind you of the drawing for the Marvel playing cards and so last time I told y'all that instead of drawing on the endgame episode I would do so on the Infinity Saga slash Stanley cameo recap episode. So you have a little bit more time to do that. So, back to the movie of Infinity War. Um, what a great movie. I definitely thoroughly remember my experience going to see this in theaters. I actually was a junior in college at this time. I was about to finish up that school year. And so, um, I went with a group, um, myself included. It was eight guys from my school. And so, beforehand... We decided to go out to eat at Chili's. That was like within a walk away from the theater that we went to. And so I remember everybody else ordered like low budget stuff. Um, but I decided that I would get myself a steak because why not? Um, and so, yeah, I got myself a steak. Obviously, I did not finish that steak. Um, even for a big eater like myself, I couldn't eat the whole thing. Um, so... I took the leftovers home with me, but anyways, we ate out at Chili's, and then we went to go see the movie. Um, now, the theater was completely packed. Um, we got in line, um, of course, and so we waited till the theater opened for us to get in. It was the opening night. Every Everybody was there. It was fantastic. Um, what a great time. Actually, I had a friend and his girlfriend at the time. Uh, they went to a showing an uh, hour or so ahead of us, and so they really enjoyed it. Um, and so, basically, yeah, the movie theater was packed. I ended up sitting at the edge of the row, which was fine, because I had one of the further back row seats anyway. 
Um, and so I was remember I remember sitting next to one of my best friends. His name is Brennan, um, and still keep up with him. Great guy, um, loves the Lord, yada yada. But um, I sat next to him, and I remember a few moments in the theater my reaction here. So um, first of all, I remember um, going into the movie at least. I knew that when they announced that Avengers 3 would end up being split into two parts, I was like, okay, so the plot's basically going to be Thanos wins part one, and then in part two, the Avengers are going to come back somehow. And so I remember going to the theater thinking that that same thing, and then uh, it wasn't until... um, Thanos turned out to have the reality stone in the movie during that viewing that I realized, oh, great. This movie is just going to be the story of Thanos getting the Infinity Stones and winning. Uh, Basically what I was expecting. Um, But, man, I did not expect the details within it. But that was, um, yeah, that's what I was going into it with. Um, Now, I remember the moment where Loki tells Thanos we have a Hulk. Uh, I remember, like, Looking at my friend Brennan next to me, he's like, because he said that in Avengers. And he was like, shh. <laughs> and so I, I, I shut up right there. Um, I was super excited in that moment, too, because I, I love that they made the callback to the Avengers. Um, and now that actually Hulk was on Loki's side instead of fighting Loki, which was awesome. Um, that's fantastic. Um, also... Uh, the last thing about that is I remember at the very end of the film, I remember everybody talking about like Spider-Man's dusting scene, death scene, whatever. And I was like, yeah, that hit hard. But like the one that hit me harder because it came before the Spider-Man one was when T'Challa dusted. And because I was like, whoa, they, they set it up to make it seem like Okoye was going to be the one that dusted, but then you see T'Challa start to dust, and you see the look on Okoye's face, and she's like, my king, and I love it, ah, ah, it, it hit me pretty well, um, and hard, and so, um, I'll get more into T'Challa death stuff in Wakanda Forever, but we'll get there when we get there, and so, yeah, those were just my memories from seeing this movie in theaters. I only think I saw it once in theaters. I definitely would have seen it again. But, um, yeah, I saw it once in theaters, and that was my experience with it. As for my gripes with the film, I think I only had two. The first one was uh, having to do with Loki. I, I feel like as soon as he's completely redeemed... As soon as he turns face from Thanos, again, because in the Avengers, he was on Thanos' side completely, where he had a deal where, I'll give you the Mind Stone if you'll get me both back, both the Tesseract and the Mind Stone back. And um, so here we see in Infinity War that Loki did kind of try to um, deceive Thanos in that way, but Thanos saw through it. And... um, and as soon as Loki was redeemed, he gets fridged, meaning like it just 
was for the sake of someone else's plot point moving further. And that was for Thor. Because in order for Thor to get to where he was in his depressive state in Endgame, he had to lose everybody in his life that he knew. Um, that he had loved his entire life. Um, and so part of that had to do with Loki having to die too. And so I just think that the Russo brothers just kind of fridged him. And I know he came back in the TV show Loki and whatnot with the events of Endgame. But I just feel like he was fridged for the sake of Thor's plot moving forward. And so, I don't know. Just a gripe there. I would have loved to have seen um, Loki operate within Infinity War and even Endgame as a good guy. Um, just me, but that's just my thoughts there. My only other gripe here is that um, I think when before the battle scene in Wakanda, we see T'Challa say, and get that man a shield, referring to Cap, I think they could have gotten him around shield like he had um, the entire time. Um, but whatever. I mean, he, could you imagine that battle in Wakanda if Captain America still had a round shield? How cool would that be? Even if it didn't have like the design on it, just like a plain shield, that would have been fine. It would have been, it would have been a temporary shield anyway. Um, and maybe they could use it in the future or well, the Wakandans could anyway. That'd be kind of cool. You could see like a Black Panther using a vibranium shield. That'd be awesome. In Steve's honor? Um, yeah, for real. But, um, although it might have taken away from the significance of having one vibranium shield that's circular and shaped like a frisbee. Um, but anyways, I, I just think that Cap could have used a circular shield in this movie. But it's a small gripe. Other than that, no complaints whatsoever. Um, I love this movie so much. Now, as for my likes, um, I will get into some general likes later on. But let's talk about my favorite character. Some honorable mentions first. Ebony Maw. I like him. Um, he's pretty cool. He's the most interesting of the Black Order. Um, he gives great speeches. Um, he's pretty smart, too. Uh... And I just like the way his character is written. Um, Bruce Banner, I love how he shines in this movie. Uh, he has this little conflict between himself and the Hulk. And um, he deals with it just by getting the Hulkbuster suit and fighting with that. And I, I love the scene with him and Cole Obsidian. I'll talk about that later. Um, but I love um, Bruce's character development in this. How he kind of has to start dealing with his own inner self in that way. Um, Spider-Man, he really shines in this. Peter Parker is really good. I love when um, he's interacting with Tony and Doctor Strange. Um, I love how he so innocently tries to um, introduce himself to both the Cape and Doctor Strange. Um, it's awesome. And I love that you could tell how much he really looks up to Tony in this movie. Um, and he really is looking out for the others in the fight against Thanos. Um, you could really see that when they're all pretty much knocked out and um, Peter's just trying to save them and um, prevent any harm from coming to them. 
I love that. Um, now, the last character I want to mention before I get to my favorite character here is um, Drax. I, I think his humor shines here. And uh, you could tell that when Thanos comes into the picture that he um, gets a bit more serious about it. Um, because he does have that personal vendetta about the deaths of his wife and daughter against Thanos. And um, again, his humor shines in this one. And um, I love that he interact. I love his interactions with Thor too, because uh, his line about um, it's like a pirate had a baby with an angel. Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, I'll probably get into that one later too. But Drax kind of really shines out in this movie to me. Um, so yeah. But my favorite character in this is actually Thor. And it has a lot to do with what the devotional moment talks about. And that is that he knows what he needs to do because he has come face to face with Thanos. And he knows that he needs a weapon to be able to kill him. And he, even despite not being a part of the main fight for most of the time, he knows what he needs to do and he does it. And then once he gets that thing done, he goes and joins the fight. And he's fierce at it. And I, I love that. Um, he's very mission-oriented in this movie. And um, also the character development here um, towards leading into Endgame and then Thor Love and Thunder. Um, I love what this movie does for his character development. Um, as to for my favorite scene, um, some several honorable mentions here first. Um, I love the opening scene. Ebony Moss speech here, hear me and rejoice. Uh, I love that. Um, it was very well written. Again, Russo brothers do so well. And I, I just love Ebony Maw's speech here. I love um, the interactions that these characters have, especially Loki with Thanos, um, given their history regarding um, the movie The Avengers. And um, I love... Um, the fight between Hulk and Thanos where Hulk thinks that he's winning at first and Thanos decides to, instead of trying to fight back immediately, he decides to analyze Hulk's fighting style. And so um, I love that he is smart in how he fights to Thanos. Is. But then he starts beating up on the Hulk. And that's like a real, for lack of a better term, and not some, I don't, mean to do a pun here but um and he gives a big hit to hulk's ego here um because if you really think about it hulk has been fighting on sakaar and winning and winning and winning he was the grandmaster's champion and so the second he starts to lose he's like oh no um and it's a real big hit on his ego um and so it kind of helps bruce banner's character development too and so i I love just this opening scene. Um, I love the interaction that Thor has with Loki here too. And um, I think it's kind of funny though because Thor seems to be starting to give up on Loki again while Loki is really trying to show Thor, hey, I'm on your side in this. I, I see what you mean by Thanos being bad here. Um, and so... Like when he says, the sun will shine on us again, brother. And um, I, I just love 
all the interactions here. Um, the next scene that I want to mention is when Strange and Tony meet. Um, it's uh, when uh, oh, after Strange comes through the portal and he meets Tony and Pepper, and he's like, "It wouldn't be underselling it to say that the fate of the universe is at stake." Um, and then Bruce shows up, and Tony's like, "Oh crap!" And so I just love the interaction that Tony and Strange have. It's just like one ego against another ego. And um, I love that interaction there. Um, I love the New York fight. Um, uh, there's a line there that said that I want to mention later. Um, but um, I love how Spider-Man comes in later. I love um, just it's a very well written fight. Um, very well written scene. Next thing I want to talk about is Cap's entrance. Not only that, but, like, it's so epic. Like, Wanda was fighting off Proxima Midnight. And then she's just standing there, and Proxima notices something behind the train that's moving. And lo and behold, it's Steve, but she doesn't know who it is. He's in the shadows. She, so she throws her spear at him, and he, like, dodges and catches it at the same time. Which is a freaking awesome move for one but then he steps out of the shadows and you see his face and you see wanda's smile and i love it um and then falcon and black widow proceed to come in and just beat the snot out of the two and i love it um what a great scene uh the next scene i want to talk about is when the guardians first meet the avengers and i'm talking about when thor comes in to meet the guardians although that is also a great scene i love the interaction that thor has with star lord but um i'm talking about on titan when um, they start fighting and then you have the moment where tony's like or where star lord's like i'll ask you one question where's gamora and tony's like who's gamora and then uh drax is like i'll do you one better why is Gamora? And did you know that Dave Bautista um, actually ad-libbed that line? It was really cool and funny. And so I'm glad they kept that into the movie. But um, I love the interactions they have there. <laughs> but there is a kind of uh, a logical lapse here where... Um, the continuation isn't correct because um, previously Star-Lord, like previously in the MCU, Star-Lord does mention that he is from Earth. But then in this scene, um, uh, I forget who it is, but someone asks him, where are you from? And he says he's from Missouri. And then Tony's like, that's on Earth. Um, and so uh, the continuation doesn't match up here. Um, and so anyways, um, just a small thing, but I, I love the interactions here. It's a great fight. Um, I love how Peter Parker is so innocent here. He's like, please don't put your axe in me. And so, uh, it's fantastic. I, the interactions are great and I love that they immediately come to realize they're on the same side. Not immediately, but like they could have fought for quite a while until they realized they're on the same side, you know? And so... I love the way that they work together, even though it's not exactly perfect, but um, it's great. The next scene I do want to talk about here 
is the battle in Wakanda. It's really good. Um, I love when uh, Black Widow, Cap, and Black Panther go to meet Proxima Midnight and call Obsidian at the edge of the um, wall, the barrier, and um, their interactions there. But, like, the war dogs, man, they're crazy. They're vicious. Um, but th that is an epic battle scene. I love it, um, especially when Thor comes in. I'll talk about that later. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about, next scene here, is when Strange fights Thanos. And I love the way that Thanos uses all the stones and not just the reality stone to fight Strange's magic. Um, and I love when Strange multiplies himself and um, throws the mystical whip at him. But then, Doc, then Thanos is being very clever here and he uses both the power and the soul stone to both fight off the whips and find the real Strange. And um, I love it. Um, and you see his astral form kind of leave his body for a second and get back in. But... Um, it's a it's a great fight. I love how when um, Strange kind of tries to move the mirror dimension towards Thanos, and then Thanos kind of uses the Reality Stone to change the mirror dimension to um, like bats or something. I forget what it was, um, but uh, or no, it's later on there where. Um, Thanos tries to use the reality and space stone, I think, to create like a black hole and moves it towards Strange. And then Strange uses his magic to turn it into butterflies. And I, I kind of love the goodness in versus evil contrast there. Um, but <clears throat> anyways, the next scene I want to talk about is the women alliance fight scene where Okoye, Black Widow, and Wanda... I think team up against Proxima Midnight and I'll tell you what this is the best women team up scene in the entire MCU no the endgame one is not the endgame one was too forced I will get into that next time but um, this was a great women f team up fight scene um, I love how both Black Widow and Okoye um, should I say Natasha and Okoye really team up here um they're they come to an understanding of each other and then they work together to fight so well as a team i love that um and so the next one i want to talk about before i get to my favorite scene is when bruce banner is in the hulkbuster suit fighting cole obsidian by the river i love it um you see that Cole Obsidian's already used his um, pretty cool-looking axe, actually, to um, di disarm, literally disarm, the Hulkbuster suit. Well, from one arm, anyway. Um, which is kind of a cool um, moment of looking back at Phase 2, uh, where in every movie somebody loses an arm, whether they regrow it back or not. But um, we... Um, See the scene here where Cole Obsidian's fight, fighting Hulk Buster Suit uh, Banner. And I love how Banner is able to intelligently fight Cole Obsidian. He's, he's pulling off these fast and, wit and quick moves 
that I wouldn't have even thought of in that moment. Um, and so I love how he uses the arm that fell off to just throw on Cole Obsidian's arm. He's like, see ya. And he goes flying and then the barrier kills him due to all the friction. But I love that. Uh, great fight scene. But my favorite scene in this entire movie, and I remember the whole theater going nuts in this moment um, when I went to see it, and I went nuts too. And that's why I picked this moment as my favorite scene. It's as soon as Thor um, gets Stormbreaker and Groot is able to sacrifice his arm to create the axe handle, um, you see Thor, um, Rocket, and Groot enter Wakanda, and he has it, his axe, and he's going hey on all the war dogs because um, they're kind of gaining the advantage here. Because um, after, because right before this, you see that um, they're kind of outnumbering and tackling Black Panther, um, Captain America, and. Bruce in the Hulkbuster suit, and then um, Thor comes in and he just takes them all out, <laughs> and then I that the music that plays coming in, oh yes, epic moment, and then I love um, something that Banner says, and I'll get to later, um, but yes, that is my favorite scene in this entire movie, and now for my favorite quote stuff again, honorable mention stuff first. Um, I love the opening speech by Ebony Maul. Um, Hear me and rejoice, um, for you will be children of Thanos, all that. That was a great speech. I've mentioned this before. Um, the next thing I want to talk about here, um, I love any time Thanos makes a philosophical statement. Um, destiny arrives all the same, um, all that kind of stuff. I I. My brain, as you might have been able to tell by now, is very philosophically minded or oriented. And so um, I, I just love philosophical statements and thinking about them and how they relate to scripture and um, whether or not they are scriptural. Um, so anytime Thanos says something philosophical, I love it. Um, I love the moment where uh, in the New York fight scene, uh, right before um, things get real fighty, um, uh, Tony says, that means get lost, Squidward. And I love that Tony calls Ebony Ma Squidward. Fantastic. He also could have called him Voldemort. Um, but uh, anyways, that actually would have been more fitting, right? Because he kind of acts like a wizard, you know? And I love that Tony always has a nickname for somebody. He called Ebony Moss Squidward. He later on calls Drax Mr. Clean. And I, I love it. Also, Flash Gordon. Love it. Um, he calls Star-Lord Flash Gordon. And then Star-Lord actually takes it as a compliment. But um, anyways, I love that line. Next up is a few moments later, actually, from this quote. Is when... Um, he tries to get Banner and bring the Hulk out, and then the Hulk just doesn't want to come out. And so Tony just tells Bruce, dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. And I love that line. Again, Tony's wit coming out. Um, I love when Spider-Man later comes on into this scene. And again, just Tony, being Tony. Um, Peter asks Tony 
what's this man's pro what's this guy's problem and tony says he's from he's from space he came here to steal a necklace from a wizard uh and uh can i just have tony stark or just robert downey jr in his wit just explain any film plot badly because that's pretty much it for infinity war um i love it um and then later on when um the guardians come upon the remnants of the asgardian ship and they bring thor in uh they start talking about his biceps and all that and there's a point where Star-Lord's like, okay, that's it. I'm going to get a Bowflex. And then I love Rocket's line here. He's like, you know, you can't eat dumbbells, right? <laughs> I love his wit. And uh, it's actually kind of said in the background. Uh, like Rocket's not even on screen in the moment he says it. And I love it. Um, and then, of course, you have the moment where Drax says, it's like a pirate had a baby with an angel. <laughs> and uh it actually is pretty accurate right there um but i love it um and then later on one of my i think my second favorite line here is um right before tony not tony right before steve um sam and nat bring back vision and wanda um to new york and they see Rhodes is on a phone call with Gen or Secretary Ross, and um, they're in the middle of their conversation. Uh, Rhodes tells Ross, "You know they're only criminals because you've chosen to call them that, right, sir?" And I love that because Rhodes has finally actually changed his mind on the Sokovia Accords, and I love that because. Um, even further, if you look at the end of the movie Civil War, um, Rhodes tells Tony that he hasn't changed his mind on the Sokovia Accords, and he doesn't think he will. Um, but then we see here in Affinity War, he has changed his mind, and he sees through um, Ross's bullcrap, and I love it. Um, the next line I want to talk about here is when Okoye's like, man, when you... T'Challa, when you said you'd open up the world, um, Wakanda to the world, I thought you meant like an Olympics or maybe even a Starbucks. I love that line. Uh, I like her wit. Um, uh, how? Imagine this. Imagine an Olympics in Wakanda. That'd be so cool. That'd be awesome. Um, but anyways, great line. Um, and then I love when... T'Challa later on tells Proxima Midnight and Call Obsidian right before the big battle in Wakanda um, that Thanos will have nothing but dust and blood. And that is exactly what Thanos got. And I hate that he had to use it, say it that way because he kind of prophesied it. Um, not really. It's not the, the way that we think of as prophecy. It's just it happened to end up being dust and blood. But um, I love that. Last thing to mention before I get to the actual favorite quote of mine from this movie. Um, I love... Right after Thor's entrance to, into Wakanda, he um, goes hay with Stormbreaker all over the war dogs there. And I love when um, Bruce Banner stands up in the Hulkbuster suit and, he's, and he uncovers his face and he's like, Oh, you guys are so screwed now! And uh, I love 
Mark Ruffalo or Bruce Banner's wit here. Um, whether that was scripted or not, I love it. Um, I like to say that's ad-libbed, but I don't know. I'm sure I would have heard that by now if that was an ad-libbed moment. Um, but what a great line. But as for my favorite, my absolute favorite quote from this movie, it comes from none other than Steve Rogers. Um, he's acting as a nomad in this movie, so I'm going to try not to refer to him as Captain America here um, within this film review here because um, he is not acting as Captain America. It's in the scene where I was just previously mentioned where Rhodes um, is talking to Ross and um, they actually get a moment where Steve gets to talk to Secretary Ross as well and um, Ross is trying is going to try to get Rhodes to arrest them but um, anyways uh, he says that you think that just because the world's on fire means all's forgiven and then I love Steve's response here he says I'm not looking for forgiveness and I'm way past asking permission Earth just lost your best defender so we're here to fight and if you want to stand in our way, we'll fight you too. And yet, this is just another reason just to love Steve Rogers as Captain America. Yeah, not really as Captain America in this scene. But anyways, like it kind of reminds me of his big speech in The Winter Soldier. Um, the one that I gave the big soundbite to in that episode. And so it's just like, I'm going to be the one to stand against you whether I'm alone or not. Because I believe in this, and I still disagree with what you have made me try to do, or try to make me do. And so, um, I love Cap's willingness to stand on his principles here. Um, and we love, I also love that um, Rhodes changed his mind in his own Cap's side here, or Steve's side, sorry. Um, and along with Nat and Sam... And then now even Vision and Wanda. And so I love it. Now as for the Stan Lee cameo, I gave it a 5.5. I still felt it was kind of average. Um, you have this guy driving a school bus for Peter Parker and his classmates. And I do love the line though that he says, uh, um, What, you guys have never seen a spaceship before? Or, yeah, wow, that was a horrible Stanley impression, but I'm keeping it because why not? Um, <laughs> and so I, I enjoyed it, but I still felt it was kind of average. So that's why I gave it a 5.5. And I might delve more into this when I get into the Infinity Saga review episode, whatever. But um, anyways, I gave the Stanley cameo a 5.5. Some other things that I generally just want to talk about within this movie. Um, first up is I love the that this movie started the um, spoilers without context memes. And I, I loved seeing that afterwards, just seeing the bubbles and all that within there. I thought that was funny. Um, and I realized something while watching this movie last night. Um, it's has to do with the line where Tony is talking to Strange and Tony's like, or Strange, Strange first says, the Time Stone may be our best um, 
the time stone might be our best chance against Thanos. And then Tony says, well, it also might be his best chance against us. And so if you think about it, in Infinity War, the time stone is Thanos' best chance against the Avengers. Because he is able to use that time stone to reverse time in order to get the mind stone at the end of the movie. But how this plays out in Endgame is it is the um, Avengers' best chance against Thanos because they travel through time to retrieve the Infinity Stones, and that gives them their chance to beat Thanos in Endgame. And so I just love that. Um, Can we just talk about the Guardians intro for a second? I love the Rubber Band Man song. Fantastic. Great way to intro um, kind of lightens the mood in that moment in the film too, because um, we kind of f- continually feel the weight of the moments, and then we just get this light-hearted moment where the guardians are coming in and everybody's—well, not everybody, but people are jamming to the Rubber Band Man, and I love it. It, it lets you know immediately, hey, this is going to be the guardians. And I remember that moment in the theaters, um, hearing that song, and I was like. Yes, this is when the Guardians come in. And I could hear people saying yes, too. And I, I loved it. It was a great way to introduce the Guardians in this movie. And to make them connect to the Avengers as meeting Thor here. And I love it. I love the nickname as Guardians of the Galaxy. Love it. Um, I, ooh, I was not looking. I was not expecting this whatsoever here. Um, the Red Skull reveal. I love it. Um, and then, like, I remember going home from the theaters after that and thinking about the Red Skull reveal. And I was like, you know what? It makes sense because at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger, you have Red Skull sent out somewhere into space by the Tesseract. And I think it's really cool, though, too, because, like, we know from this that the infinity stones have some sort of mind of their own maybe they interact themselves with the mind stone to have their own sort of unimind kind of thing hit hit at eternals but um that they kind of had their own the mind of their own and they protect each other and so that's why um the tesseract saw that red skull was very capable of protection and so the Tesseract sends Red Skull up to Vormir, where the Soul Stone is. And um, and I love the moment where um, he's just talking in the background. He says, Thanos, son of Eros. And then Gamora, the daughter of Thanos. And at that moment, um, he comes out of the shadows and you see his face. And I remember everybody being like, what the heck? And I love that. That reveal was awesome. And then, like, at the end of Infinity War... When people were spec, or we saw the end of the Infinity War, and then people kept speculating the next year as to what the events of Endgame would entail, and I was just like, "Bro, what if Captain America had to go to get the Soul Stone?" And he sees Red Skull. Like, what would that interaction be like? And then I'll get more into that kind of thing in Endgame. But like, how cool would that be? Um, so I just love the Red Skull reveal here. Um, and then his little interactions as the protector of the Soul Stone to Thanos and Gamora. Um, I 
Love that. That was very well written. Um, I love the moment in Wakanda where um, it's after Thor's entrance in there, obviously, and then you have Bucky and Rocket fighting together. They're like nearby, and then you get their interactions are fantastic because I love when um, at first they have the interaction where. Um, Obviously, at this point, we know that Rocket likes fake appendages or something, fake body parts. And so he's like, how much for the arm? And then Bucky's like, nah, you're not getting it. And he's like, oh, I'll get that arm. And and then I love the moment later on where um, they're kind of outnumbered at this point, And it seems the odds are against them. And then Bucky makes the quick decision to just pick up Rocket. And then they just spin around in circles and shoot at the dogs. And I... Loved it. Great moment. I loved. Ah, fantastic. Uh, um, and the last thing I want to talk about before we get into the devotional here um, is the foreshadowing to Tony's death. And this is the moment where um, it's at the end of the fight on Titan, um, right before Strange decides to give Thanos the Time Stone. And um, we see that Tony's trying, trying his very best to just fight Thanos. And he makes this dagger out of his um, nanotech. And he tries to stab at Thanos, but Thanos um, grabs it, breaks it off of him, his suit, and then stabs into Tony. I remember in theaters being like, oh gosh, Tony's going to die today. But then um, you see Strange saying, spare his life. And... Um, I was like, what on earth? But then we know now that that was just a foreshadowing to the fact that Tony had to die in Endgame. Um, and so I love that moment. Um, I remember being tense in that moment. I was like, bruh. Like, the most hurt that Tony had been at this point was almost being crushed at his house in Iron Man 3. Um... <laughs> Like, you see that he has, like, bruises on his face, his nose is probably broken, and he probably, being Tony, just realigned it into place. And so, um, well, his nose was at least scratched up anyway. And so, like, that's the roughest that Tony's ever been up to that point. And so, like, you can see the hesitancy on Tony's face when he's stabbed. He's like, what? And, um great scene i love it and so i think that does it for my just about 45 minute talk about the movie itself wow uh we'll see how long this episode ends up being um but yeah that does it for my overall thoughts on the film um let's get into the devotional shall we it reads in avengers infinity war during their travels to Earth, the Asgardian people encounter Thanos and his children known as the Black Order. Thor, Hulk, and Loki try to prevent him from being able to use the Space Stone, which was the Tesseract, but are proven powerless against Thanos. Once the Great Titan Thanos successfully retrieves the stone, he destroys the ship, leaving the bodies of the Asgardians that were on that ship, along with the unconscious Thor, to float off in space as they continue their search for the rest of the Infinity Stones. Later on, the Guardians of the Galaxy find him and bring him aboard their ship. While catching them up on the situation, 
Thor holds up the spoon with which he is eating his food and realizes that he needs a new weapon to replace his broken hammer Mjolnir, see Thor Ragnarok, in order to be able to take on Thanos, so he takes Rocket Raccoon and Groot with him to Nedavellir. While there, they help a dwarf forge a new weapon for Thor, an axe called Stormbreaker. God tells us to take up weapons of our own to fight against Satan and his forces. That weapon would be his word, the Holy Bible. Ephesians 6 describes the armor of God with which we are to equip ourselves. This passage describes the word of God as the sword of the Spirit. It is also the only offensive weapon that God prescribes for us in this passage. It is also our most powerful weapon against the forces of evil altogether. Hebrews 4.12 describes the sword of the Spirit as the sharpest of all swords, because it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Scripture, being the word of the Lord, allows us to determine the thoughts and intentions of the hearts of others and ourselves. While Stormbreaker was not any sword and had no ability to discern the heart's intentions, it certainly gave Thor a bit of an edge, nice pun I know, against Thanos. It allowed him to take out a good bit of Thanos' army in Wakanda. Our struggle against Satan and his forces is not just a small fight, but a war. It's spiritual warfare which requires us to have spiritual weapons, which is why we need scripture as our sword. The Lord never guaranteed us that we would win every battle, but without the knowledge of scripture, we are destined to lose more battles than when we are equipped with the sword. While Thor and the rest of the heroes did not win despite having Stormbreaker, the struggle for the heroes would have been much worse without Thor's new weapon. How regularly do you read scripture? Might you be able to read it more often? Think back to a time or multiple times when you went without reading scripture for a while. How was your relationship with God during those times? Think back to a time or multiple times when you were regularly immersed in the word of God. How was your relationship with God during those times? Will you decide to pick up the sword again and become so familiar with it as if it were an extension of your own body? I'm going to read the passage in Ephesians 6 that talks about the armor of God, and I'm going to start in verse 13. Once again, in the English Standard Version, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now the reason that it's so important to take on the whole armor of God here is because wherever we do not take on armor, that leaves us vulnerable to the enemy's arrows, the sword, whatever. Um, and it's even more important to take on the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Lord here, um, God's word, because as I mentioned in the devotional, it is the only offensive weapon we have it is the most important weapon weapon we have because it's the most off it's the only offensive weapon we have um without it all we're doing is fighting on defense and fending off um arrows and we can't get an advantage that way not in our own personal battles against the enemy 
So let's take a moment to go through each of these parts of the armor of God, starting with the first one mentioned, the belt of truth. Um, the belt holds up the pants, right? And I think it's really funny how the armor of God doesn't mention pants, but anyways, um, the belt holds up the pants, right? And so I like to think of it in this way that the truth is what holds our other armor together. If we don't stand firm on the truth, then the rest of the armor falls apart. So now the next mentioned um, armor of God piece is the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate obviously covers the chest and it protects the heart. And so if we are not righteous, righteousness covers our heart, right? Um, and it protects a lot of vital organs, really. The lungs, the heart, uh, maybe even a little bit of the liver. Um, and uh, I'm sure some other vital organs as well. And so if we do not take on a spirit of righteousness, then we are very, very vulnerable to um, the attacks of the enemy. The next piece of armor mentioned here are the shoes of peace. Um, specifically, it says here, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so the shoes represent the feet, right? And it covers the feet. And the feet is what we walk with, right? It's what gets us going around. So if we do not walk in a spirit of peace in the world, then we only entice war. Um, and, and that's why it's important for us to walk in peace. And so the next piece of the armor of God is the shield of faith. And I like to think of this like Captain America's shield. Um, but mainly within back then, the shield was used basically for defensive measures, right? Um, and so if we have faith, we can use that faith to shield us from the enemy, um, yeah, sure, arrows might come through, and that's why it's important to handle our faith well and to know how to handle it, um, and that we do have that faith. Because if without the faith in the Lord, then any arrow that comes our way is likely to hit us. But if we have that shield, we can block out those arrows. And now the next piece of the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. Um, it covers our head. Obviously, um, if anything were to get through our head, we're dead because it hits our brain, right? And so salvation is the very first thing that comes, right? Um, I like to think of Psalm 133, I believe it is, where it talks about the oil of anointing on us. It starts at the head and it just kind of flows down onto the rest of the body. Um, and so when we begin our journey as Christians, it begins with salvation. So we take on that helmet. And then as we go through the sanctification process, for it is a process, a lifelong journey, in fact, um, we continue, we, we take on that breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace. Um, and we also have that shield of faith. So I believe that it is important that we continue to Work on all of these things. For yes, it is possible to lose any of these things, even salvation. I'll get into that later. 
Um, but um, if we lose any of those, that's where we leave to be vulnerable. Um, if we lose the shoes of peace, um, then we lose the protection of our feet because um, we in the middle of battle, right? We use our feet and a whole lot. We run, we, we kick, um, but with the shoes of peace off, um, first of all, having that peace off of us, we lose that bit of the fruit of the spirit, right? And then we lose our witness into the world. Um, and kind of, um, really, if you think about it, if we lose that spirit, the enemy doesn't really want to attack us as much anymore because he knows that when we lose a piece of our armor, we are giving ourselves more away into the ways of the world and we're becoming more like what he would want us to be anyway. And so it's not worth it to attack us. And so maybe he can do something to try and make us want to take off some piece of armor. Um, but it's important to stay diligent in the word. That's why it is important to take on the sword of the spirit constantly as our only offensive measure. Because when we take on the sword of the Spirit daily, reading the Bible daily, it helps us to retain all those other pieces of the armor of Christ. Um, when we take in God's Word, it's think of it like prayer. Like Prayer is supposed to be a conversation, right, between us and God. And so when we pray, um, we, we're having a conversation with Jesus. And so... When we take in God's word, when we read God's word, it's like him talking to us. And then when we have our, what we like to call prayer, when we're talking to God, it's us when we're talking to God. And it's a lot like the Psalms because it's um, the, the heart cries of the people of God towards God. Um, uh, so like the Psalms are like us talking to God. And then... Um, the rest of even the wisdom literature in the Bible is God talking to us. And that's why it's so important to keep on the armor of God. If we lose it, we are vulnerable to the enemy and he can attack us there. Or he might not even want to attack us because it makes us more like him. When we lose that righteousness, when we lose that faith, when we lose um, the grip of on truth that we have as Christians, um, especially truth, because like as I've said before, the belt of truth is what holds the rest of the armor together. And so that's all I have to say about the armor of God. And so let's get into these other biblical themes that come up in this movie. The first one I want to talk about here is having to do with when Thanos mentions destiny. And so... This is very much a theological kind of term here because uh, there are some denominations that believe in this thing called predestination, uh, which to an extent is true. And because scripture does mention the word predestination, it, it does refer to some things as having been predestined by God. Now, this kind of gets into the conversation of um, the... Calvinistic view um, that's called TULIP that's, has, that's basically an acronym um, which basically summarizes predestination 
And it summarizes two predestination rights. Um, and I don't believe in all of them personally, um, but uh, what they mean are um, tulip, it's spelt like the flower, right? T-U-L-I-P. And what they stand for is total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. So what are they and what do they mean? Um, well, total depravity means that we as mankind, every aspect of humanity is corrupted by the original sin of Adam and Eve. Now, at first, I really didn't believe in this, but I have come to believe in it throughout the years. And I, I believe that it's true because if for those who are, are not in Christ, for those who are not saved, who do not have salvation, who do not believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior. Um, I I mean, some areas of some people's lives are not completely visibly corrupt, but like at some point, you're going to see corruption within that area of their life, right? And so um, the human soul um, longs for things of the world more immediately than the things of God, right? And so I believe that total depravity is true. Now, unconditional election is an, one thing that I do not believe in. It means basically, um, in my understanding at least, that, and if you're a Calvinist and you're listening to this, please correct me if I'm wrong, but and I'm, I'm pleased, if you're a Calvinist here, please do not take this as an attack. I'm just trying to um, talk about Tulip from my own point of view here right now. Um, so, you standing for unconditional election, um, I, I don't believe in it. It means basically that those who God will choose to save, he chooses to save. And those who he chooses not to save, he chooses not to save. And I just don't believe that. Um, I believe that God wouldn't create human beings or allow human beings to even be born that he wouldn't choose to save. Uh, why would he do that? Why would he do that as a loving creator? Um, also, 2 Timothy 3.9, not 2 Timothy, 2 Peter 3.9 uh, says that God is not willing that anyone should perish. And I uh, I firmly believe that if God is love and God loves us all and God came and God sent his son into the world, um, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him for God so loved the world. Why would he create beings within the world that he wouldn't save? And so I don't believe in unconditional election, which this kind of also feeds into what L stands for limited atonement. And it means that the what Jesus did on the cross um, served to save some people, meaning those who are part of the elect. And I, I just don't think that's true. It limits God's power, um, and it just doesn't make the power of Christ himself all that significant. Um, it also just doesn't help um, with what Jesus said in John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. And so if limited atonement is true, then 
that means that there's no hope for those who are not part of the elect by these standards here. It doesn't make sense. Now, I stands for irresistible grace. This is the one other point that I do believe in. And it's because I come from a denomination that believes in this thing called prevenient grace, which means grace that goes before. It's the grace that God bestows upon us to lead us to the point where we want to choose salvation. And so I believe that God works grace in all of our lives. Um, as his creation, as his image bearers, um, at some point, and that grace is meant to bring us to, closer to him, closer to the Father, um, even past salvation. Uh, part of sanctification is God's grace in us, through us, for us. Um, and so I believe that irresistible grace is true, whether we recognize it or want to believe it or not. Uh, God works his grace in all of our lives, whether before salvation or after salvation, or within that salvation. For salvation, yes, itself is an act of grace. Um, so, the last point in the tulip is perseverance of the saints. Uh, basically, comes down to, it boils down to, once saved, always saved. And this is the point that I am the most adamant against because I, I, I believe that God honors the free will that he has given us to humanity um, from the beginning. Uh, he gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden uh, to whether or not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so if we can choose salvation, what's to say that we can't lose that? It just doesn't make sense to me. And I have several biblical um, things to point out to here to back up my claim here. Um, first of all, if you look in the Old Testament, you see King Saul. Um, you see the Lord's anointing on his life. Um, the Spirit is living in him. And then when um, he finally disobeys God for the, the nth time, um, the Lord decides to anoint a new king to take Saul's place, and so Saul's descendants will not rule Israel um, as a punishment to Saul. And then when Samuel anoints David to be the future king of Israel, um, it says that the spirit of the Lord left Saul and went into David. And so um, if the spirit of the Lord can leave, can enter one person and then leave, then if the Spirit's not in you, you have no salvation, right? Um, and so, if Saul had died in obedience to the Lord, then um, he would have been saved. But since Saul did not die in obedience to the Lord, since the Spirit left his him, when since the Spirit left him, um, I, I don't believe that we, we'd be able to see him in heaven. The next thing in the Bible that I want to point out here is Hebrews 6 four through six. It says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, 
since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. It's basically refuting once saved, always saved directly here. It's saying that if you have once had salvation and then choose to walk away from that, then there is no return. God is a God of many chances, but when you walk away from the Lord, um, there's no return for you. And so that's why it's important to walk steadily with the Lord. Um, the last passage I want to point out here is Revelation 3.5. It says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And like this passage right here specifically is coming from one of the points in one of the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. And this one is to the church of Sardis. And basically what Jesus says to Sardis here is that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. It's like they're just playing make-believe or they're going through the motions, but not really in it. Um, and so Jesus is warning them here that if they do not actually um, live like they're saying they are, uh, like they have, they have a good reputation, but they're not really living in the word. They're not really living out what they say they believe. And so Jesus is warning them against continuing on in this path because that just doesn't lead to heaven. Because as Jude, or James says, faith without the works in there is dead. They have the faith, but they lack the works. And so what Jesus is saying is to the one who conquers, to the one who bears through, to the one who is faithful to me, I will not blot his name out of the Lamb's book of life. And that Lamb's book of life has the names of everyone who has salvation, who has the Spirit living within them. And so saying that he will not blot them out implies that he can and that he does. And so I I just can't believe in once saved, always saved. You can lose your salvation. You could walk away. If you can choose salvation, you could choose to walk away. It's as simple as that. And so all these points of Calvinism just feed into the idea of predestination, whether you're predestined to be the elect or not. And so I, I believe that there are certain things that are predestined, yes, like the events of Revelation. That's going to happen. Uh, Jesus says it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. Um, but for most part, I believe that God decides to honor people's free will. And that's why prevenient grace is so important. That's why that irresistible grace is so important. God chose to honor the free will that he gave Adam and Eve. And yes, there was punishment for choosing the evil choice, the wrong choice. Um, but he still honors our free will that he's freely given us by his grace. And so we can choose salvation. We can choose to not walk with him. And so that's why I'm... It's important for us as Christians to grant that same grace of free will to others. We can't just force people into heaven. That's not how it works. If we force people to go to church or whatever, um, or if we force some certain ideology upon them, then they're not going to like that ideology. They're not going to like that thing that we're going to try to force upon them, right? 
And so that's why grace is important. That's why we give them a choice. That's why we love them. And so, again, I don't believe entirely in predestination, but I am more um, certainly a believer in the free will that God gives us. So the next biblical theme that I want to talk with y'all about here um, has to do with what Wong said here to Dr. Strange in the beginning of the film, um, where he says, attachment to the material leads to detachment from the spiritual. And I believe that there is some great truth to this. Um, When we like to cling to the things of the world, material stuff, we, we tend to walk further away from God. We when we have the desires for the things of the world that man has made that doesn't go after God's own heart, then we tend to walk away from God's own heart. Um, let's look at the book of James here for a second. Specifically in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. It kind of goes into the proverb that says, bad morals corrupt good character. Um, like a, a company of bad morals corrupts good character. Because um, if you are hanging out with other people that don't necessarily honor or strive to belong to the church or the family of God, um, it makes it look like that you're kind of trying to do that as well. So worldliness is really a tightrope to walk now the world it is very biblical to say that we should be in the world but not of it because if we're not in the world as christians then how are other people to believe if we do not preach the gospel to the world how are other people not to believe or how are other people to believe Um, because god chooses to use us as his instruments to share the good news right and so it's important to not cling to the world, but cling to God, the one who made us, the one who created us, the one who saved us. Um, we do not have salvation without him. So why would we want to go on in the world that we lived in, in worldliness as we were, and not in what he wants for us because he saved us? And so, yes, Wong is kind of correct here in saying that attachment to the material is detachment from the spiritual. Now, that is an extreme saying here. Um, It's not one for one here. Um, Like, we got to stay in the world, but not of it, right? So the next moment I want to talk about here um, has to do with the scene where Thanos is with the child version of Gamora, and he gives her the double-sided blade, right? Um which kind of links back into the double-edged sword that I was talking about earlier. But anyways, um, he he gives her the blade with what looks like a ruby in the middle or something. And he's um, really trying to distract. His goal in that moment is to distract Gamora from what he's doing to the people of her planet. Um, But to child Gamora, it just seems like a kind gesture, right? And so the point I want to make here is that evil can seem enticing. Um, Something I want to point to in Scripture is when Jesus is in the wilderness, he has fasted for 40 days. Now, the wilderness isn't like the forest or anything. It's the freaking desert, y'all. 
So I'm going to read the story about it here as found in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now all these temptations seemed well and good and very enticing, right? And that's what evil does. It wants to entice us. It wants to give us the desires of our heart. But you know what the Lord wants for us? He wants our desires to be Him. And so a really good litmus test here is to discern whether um, some desire you have um, is good. Is, is it something that you want yourself or is it something that God wants for you? Um, and sometimes that can be a hard thing to discern. Um, and that takes prayer and maybe even sometimes fasting to figure that out. Um, and take counsel in other people too as well, because they might point you to scripture that you've never heard of or have read before but forgot about or whatever. So yeah, evil can sound super enticing. The next moment I want to talk about here um, comes from the moment where we see um, it's Star-Lord and Gamora are talking, and they're having a serious conversation. And at the end of the conversation, you hear Drax eating his Zarg nuts, and he's basically trying to be invisible, right? He's like, I am so slow. I am invisible to the naked eye. And then Mantis is like, hi, Drax. But um, this kind of like made me think of um, when we try to believe that we can hide our sins from God, um, it, it just doesn't work. Um, I like to think of the story of Jonah, where he tries to hide from God. He is called by God to go to Nineveh, which is a very evil city at the time, and to give a salvation message that the Lord um, wanted him to give. Um, he would certainly use his spirit to give that in the moment. But um, Jonah, out of fear, wants to hide from God. Um he doesn't even want to hide sin. Um, he knows what he's doing is sinful, and he knows that the Lord sees him doing it. But like he's trying to hide from God. He's trying to hide from that calling, and then that storm comes on the ship um, that he's on to flee away from Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is not a um, city by the sea at all. It's like in the middle of the wilderness, I believe. And so like he's trying to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. But um, obviously, God intervenes in this story. And so um, 
And God has grace on Jonah here too. Um, he actually <laughs> takes Jonah by a big fish to Nineveh somehow. Um, of course, Jonah had to walk the rest of the way there from the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. But like Jonah tried to hide from God. He didn't even try to hide sin. And yet God showed him that he saw him. And so if Jonah could not even hide his own self from God, what? who are we to think that we can hide our sin from him? We, we can't. Um, nothing goes past the Holy Spirit's eye. It doesn't go out or in one ear, out the other. Like the Holy Spirit sees all. Like God is omnipresent and he's also omnipotent. So let's keep that in mind. We can't hide our sins from God. It doesn't work. We might think we have escaped for now, but again, God honors the free will that he's given us through his grace and he continues to extend to us that grace. And he wants us to come to repentance. He really does. And when we come to that genuine repentance is when we continue to be like, okay, I surrender, Lord. You are humbled in that moment. So the next thing I want to talk about here, promise I'm almost done. I know it's a long episode right now, um, but not quite as long as the Civil War episode yet. Um, But the next thing I do want to talk about is... Um, when they're, um, basically, um, by they, I mean, Bruce Banner, uh, Black Widow, Steve, um, all, all those people in Vision and Wanda are, are talking about, like, how they're going to get the Mind Stone out of Vision's head. And, um, basically Steve says, we don't trade lives, um, And also, the thing that I want to hinge on in this moment is when Vision tells Wanda, um, only you have the power to pay the price um, of destroying the stone, really. And so, um, I just think that parallels very well to Jesus. Like, only he had the power to be the sacrificial lamb for all of us throughout history to save us. Um, only he has the power to save. Um, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So if you do not know Christ as your savior today, please take that step. I invite you to take that step. It's easy. All you have to do is say, God, I dedicate my life to you. I believe in your son. I believe that he, he came to earth. He, he lived a perfect life. He was fully divine, fully human. And yet he died for me so that I may live in eternity with you. Believe in that and you will be saved. So the following thing, the next thing I want to talk about here is um, when we can help our brothers and sisters fight their battles. Uh, it kind of comes from the the women power moment here in this film where... Um, Obviously, Proxima Midnight in this moment is attacking specifically Wanda. And Wanda is trying her best to fight her. And she can't. And so we see Black Widow and Okoye come to her aid um, because they all fight together. But like Wanda alone, not at that time, she could not have faced Proxima Midnight. 
Um, but when Black Widow and Okoye come, they help. Um, and so when it's three on one, it's awesome. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, according to Ecclesiastes. And so um, there is power when people come together in the name of Jesus um, on behalf of someone, um, whether it's for healing, salvation, whatever. There is power in that. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there. And so um, when we allow ourselves also to be vulnerable to others, there's power in the prayer that goes up to the Lord by all of us. Um, when community comes together and prays over something, the Lord works his hand in it. And But if we're alone in this, if we feel like we're alone, if we want to be alone in it, um, we, we have no faith in our friendships, right? We have no faith in really God. He, he has placed those certain people in our lives um, for the sake of us helping them and them helping us so that we can lift each other in prayer and supplication. God made us for community. Let's live in it. And so the last thing I want to talk about here actually is um, now that we know of all the stones, because um, we had all the stones except for the soul stone introduced to us previously within the Infinity Saga. And now in this movie, Infinity War, we have been introduced to the soul stone. And so I, I just kind of want to talk about how God relates to each stone. And I'm going to talk about it in the order in which Thanos got each stone. So first up is the power stone. God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. Easy. Um, our God is an awesome God. He reigns in power and love and wisdom. Um, if you know that Rich Mullen songs, song, it's great. If you don't, look it up. It's a great worship song from the 90s, maybe the 80s. I don't know. Uh, I think it's the 90s, though. But um, yeah, God is omnipotent. Up next is the space stone. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, all at once. He sees all. He is in all. Um, up next, you have the reality stone. God very much is real, and without him, there is no reality. Because he created the reality that we know and we love and that we live in today. Up next, we have the soul stone. Now, God himself, does he have a soul? I don't think so, but he did create us as human beings with a soul. And because we have a soul, we have that Imago Dei. We have that image of God within us. And so God, he also asks us to love um, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. Um, I guess we'll get back to that when we talk about the Mind Stone later, but... He gives us a soul, and with that, a purpose. Up next, we have the time stone. Um, God is outside of time. He created time. He created the concept of it. And so he works in time throughout it. And last, we have the mind stone. Of course, I mentioned just now, he, the Lord calls us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and body. Um, and he gives us mind to our minds to exercise it to actually 
intellectually know why we believe what we believe so that we can defend our faith, so that we can share the gospel in truth and in love. Um, God calls us to love one another in action and in truth. Um, and so we can't know the truth without exercising our minds well. We, we, if we don't think philosophically well, we won't think theologically well, and we won't know our God well. And that's why we use our minds. And God has a mind of his own. He is all wise. That comes from the mind. And so, yeah, that's how God relates to all of the infinity stones. That does it for the um, talk on Avengers Infinity War. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I hope you learned something from it. Um, I I hope that this helps you grow closer to God here. Um, But if you would like to reach out to me, feel free. Um, Be sure to check out our social media stuff. You can find the devotional material and this podcast um, update stuff on Facebook. Um, Just search for MCU Devos. On Instagram, at MCU Devos. On Twitter, at MCU Devos Podcast. And on TikTok, at Oh How Marvelous Podcast. And what makes the TikTok unique is that I can give you some updates, um, in video form, um, give some reviews of recent projects coming out. I already gave my like immediate post immediate um, review of Wakanda Forever. I plan on doing the same for Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Can't wait for that. That looks so good. Um, but um, be sure to check all those out. And at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that I did move um, the drawing time for the Marvel playing cards um, to not the Endgame episode, which is up next, but um, the Infinity Saga review episode. And so you have two more episodes worth of time to do that. Now, I do plan on recording the Endgame episode tomorrow, but maybe releasing it like Monday or something. Um, It is Thursday right now, just by the way. So you do have 10 days um, to enter your, um, to, to put in your entry to win that. And you could send a message to either of those aforementioned um, social media platforms with a written message or a video message. And you could also send that to mcudevos at gmail.com. You can get it to me that way. Um, basically, just describing your favorite moment from either the podcast from the MCU um, or from the scripture or any combination thereof, and then explain your answer. And then I will get your name entered um, or username, whichever one you prefer to. um, I'll get it entered um, into the list for the drawing to win the deck of cards. And there's already one, only one entries in so far. So if you enter now, you have a pretty good chance of winning. So please be sure to get your entry in by the 30th of January. Again, that is 10 days from now. Uh, Probably nine days from the time you're listening to this at least because, well, yeah, it's already past midnight right now. So nine days. Actually, 10. Yeah, 10. Uh, I I looked at the date at the wrong date. Um, So um, right now it is Friday for me. I was mostly recording on Thursday anyway. um, But it is 12.04 a.m. on Friday, 
for January the 20th right now. So you do have 10 days to um, submit your entry. Um, you have still have a pretty good chance to win it, guys. Um, so be sure to enter for your chance to win. Also, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. Just look for MCU Devos or Oh How Marvelous Podcast. I think either way will get you there. Just look for the logo you see on the podcast platform that you have. Um, there's also some special extra content there um, that I have. Um, you can also find all that stuff on the TikTok. And I did mention the 30th earlier for the deadline for the entry for the deck of cards. And the reason for that is... I wanted to do the Infinity Saga review along with the Stanley Cameo stuff um, on the one year anniversary of this podcast. Um, so yeah, this podcast has been out for just about a year now. Um, I recorded the first episode and put it out there um, on January 30th of last year, I believe it was. And so... I wanted to do like a big thing for the anniversary of it, and I believe that reviewing the Infinity Saga along with the Stanley cameos was the perfect thing, and um, the drawing for the deck of cards would just be the icing on the cake there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So that does it for Avengers Infinity War. We'll see you next time when we cover Avengers Endgame on Oh How Marvelous.